0: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. One,
1: two, three, four.
2: Welcome to this week's Your Own Personal Beatles featuring me, Robin Allender. And I am Jack Pelling Thank you for joining us, and this week we're delighted to welcome Shappi Korsandi to talk about her own personal Beatles, and it was a great chat with Shappi, I thought.
3: Yeah, it was fantastic. I really enjoyed listening back to it. It was one of those, another one where we could have gone on for hours and hours, but yeah, she was absolutely yeah. brilliant. She was on sparkling
2: form after a single glass of I wine. <laughs>
3: it was really good. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was fantastic. Yep, she had um, uh, her delightful son buttling for her. Uh, yeah, yeah. Was, Which was lovely. And yeah, we chatted a lot about sort of her youth. She talks really brilliantly about sort of being young and stuff, partly because she's got a fantastic Mm. book about it, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, some amazing memories of her sort of early Beatles relationship. And um, yeah, we went really around the houses, discussed a lot of, um, you know, a bit of magical mystery tour, a little bit of, you know, what it's like listening to the, the Beatles from, you know, someone who's moved. To, to the west at an early age and the sort of cultural significance that that takes on and um, yeah their part in sort of cultural identity as well which is interesting especially at the moment where um, yeah post euros people are sort of wondering what it is to be proud to be English and stuff and the part that the Beatles play in that which is a, mm. a fascinating chat yeah
2: yeah Shappy's book A Beginner's Guide to Acting English is really fantastic and she, as you say she writes so well about being a child and those kind of impressions and the way you kind of experience life as a child and i think in the podcast she talks about that really well in terms of the experiencing of music and i think yeah some of her stories particularly about fool on fool on the hill are just uh, brilliant you know um, yeah that, what an incredible kind of connection she has to that song
3: yeah and as a, um, she's a fantastic comedian so obviously it's incredibly funny as well Mm. so yeah get stuck in if you want to hear an extended version of this podcast episode you can join our patreon uh, by going to patreon.com forward slash personal and you can get an extra sort of about 20 minutes extra out of this one which is really worth doing um mm. so thank you for everyone who has joined that um we really appreciate the support um, you also get some bonus episodes coming up uh, we should have the first one of them next week, which is exciting and then uh, mm. yeah, a few old faces from series one turning up to uh, join us for a couple of extra ones over the next couple of months. So lots to be looking forward to.
2: Yeah. I've got a couple of little things to read out. Um, the first one is Joe from Beatles Books, oh, yeah. who's a, a brilliant uh, online presence and what you, one of the nicest Beatle chaps I've definitely met since doing the uh, the podcast. Nice. Um, he sent he he posted online a brilliant um, uncut interview uh, with Paul McCartney, where he I think it was from around the time Revolution in the Head came out. Okay, and we obviously talk Early a lot 90s. about yeah, ninety four ninety five yeah. I think, uh, and he obviously talks a lot. We obviously talk about a lot about revolution in the head, but this is Paul McCartney's take on it. Well, it might be compelling reading for you. I'm not going to do the the Scouse yeah. accent
3: like the guy who does yeah, the Yeah, we're both listening to the audiobook of Mark Lewis's tune-in at the moment, where uh, yeah. he slips into a very broad Scouse accent for every yeah. quotation, no matter how long or how or obvious it is. So Even he if tends, it's just
2: a single word. Yeah, he <laughs> yeah. tends
3: to say, and that morning John went, down the shops. Or
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> so, but, uh, so this is Paul um well it might be compelling reading for you but not for me it isn't because I keep finding all the mistakes in it McCartney did this because of that and I'm sitting there thinking no I didn't or Jen, <laughs> or John Lennon was out of his head on this when he wrote that no he wasn't I should know because I was fucking there it's all this, <laughs> it's all this received wisdom shit it's good that someone like Ian bothered to write a book about us I'm sure a lot of it is very perceptive but what do you do when you're me? When someone is telling you what it's like to be in a room writing a day in the life, and you're thinking, no, that's not what it was like at all, it can be very enraging, that sort of thing. That's great, but because I often find myself thinking about Paul McCartney, thinking, what do you do when you're me?
1: Yeah. You know what (laughs) I mean? Like,
2: yeah, that's great. I love that quote.
3: Yeah, there was um, another video of. Ringo saying pretty much the same thing uh, hmm. that was posted on Twitter this week of him just being like, yeah, 70% of it's
2: absolute bollocks. I never read any of
3: it. <laughs> you know,
2: But I kind of, I mean, Revolution in the Head gets a lot of stick for how opinionated it is. Yeah. But I, I that's kind of why I like it, to be honest with you. And yeah. even when I read it an impressionable age, like I loved Helter Skelter. It didn't matter that he didn't like it.
3: You know what I mean? But it does have that thing, yeah, I don't like it when it sort of begins to change my opinion because he presents his opinions as objective fact. <laughs> yeah, like he just... And then once that. you hear that, you're like, oh, yeah, actually, all the John George Harrison ones up until, like, 1966 are terrible. <laughs> well, but he's... yeah. He doesn't he's like very... George's... He doesn't really like any of George's songs, um... He does, and I he, think. Well, I, I don't think uh, the, the early ones. He sort of gets. Yeah. He's a bit more complimentary as it goes through, and then he obviously has his favorite period. Is the mm. uh, Sergeant Pepper?
2: Yeah, Sergeant Pepper is the kind of pinnacle. Yeah, and day it's in kind the of life, I think he
3: describes as like the greatest. Like that's the yeah. apex. Oh, moment, uh,
2: so. I think I am the Warist might be his personal favorite. Really but am. he's also quite. He is fond of um, Don't bother me, the Harrison song. I think he it sort of says it's a little bit overlooked. Oh really? It's one of my least favorites. Yeah, I like it, and I was thinking—is um, that the know, first? I hate it. <laughs> but I was thinking—is that the first Beatles song that kind of isn't about love and and shagging? Yes, it's
3: about being <laughs>
2: moody. It's about being having moody, a cold. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah, you wrote it. Yeah. on.
3: the other th- harmonically, the- the- I don't like it at all. It's very...
2: <laughs> the other thing I wanted to talk about briefly was there's a brilliant book which came out earlier this year by music journalist Harry Sword, mm-hmm. uh, which is called Monolithic Undertow: In Search of Sonic Oblivion. And it's absolutely brilliant and incredibly well researched book about drone music um mm-hmm. and about drone culturally, I suppose, just a little right. bit from the in- introduction. the drone requires neither chord nor band representing by its infinite pliability and accessibility the ultimate folk music a potent audio tool of personal liberation and so it's really it's really good, and it gets into some really interesting like. And heavy and obscure acts, you know, from Velvet Underground to the kind of, you know, Stooges, Sonic Youth, Swans, Black Sabbath, Sleep, Melvins, Eno. And then the, like, more avant-garde, like Eliane Elian Radique, mm-hmm. who I absolutely love. But, of course, like, the Beatles are in it. And I think that's what I kind of... why we're doing this podcast, because no matter how far out the music yeah. is, you can still bring it back to the Beatles. Mm-hmm. And, you know, th- this is just a really good bit about... um Tomorrow Never Knows here. Touching on Indian classicism, music concrete, and the joy of staunch noise, Tomorrow Never Knows was the drone in action, transcendent magic captured on tape. Neither some blissed out peace and love trip, nor the black acid nightmare later evoked by Hawkwind at their most incandescent. The song was rather a call to submission. The seismic cranial shift the Beatles underwent on Revolver. From the lightweight pop of Please Please Me just three years earlier was truly a remarkable, a testament to both tireless studio experimentation and the cranial power of the successful and repeated acid test. So I thought it was just great to Yeah, that's great. I mean, to to, to read about kind of all these obscure acts and mm. very experimental acts and to also see Beatles as being a part of that history, I think, is like it's kind of why we're doing this, I think. You know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because <laughs> it's like there's always new ways to talk about them.
3: Yeah, and that's yeah, that's brilliantly put. And it's such a such a great example of how you can use sort of of a, a, a one chord song in that in that track as well. Because it is sort mm. of drones that you know you think big open fifths that are sort mm. of harmonically ambiguous. But tomorrow never knows is just C major all the way yeah. through. <laughs> you know, yeah, so yeah. It uses that that sort of alternating major third is, is yeah. the the key to the the melody. So it's, uh, mm. yeah, but that yet yeah, there's so much variation. Mm. Yeah, it's, that's good. Yeah. Brilliant. I like that. I'm going to read that book. It's on my yeah, list. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Mm. Lovely stuff. Right, well, so let's crack on with Shappy Sandy. Uh We'll be back at the end of the show. Um, but, yeah, please, if you want to get in touch with us, you can uh, send in some of your personal Beatles stories to jack at homespunsounds.com and uh, keep in touch with us on the old social medias as well, at personalbeatles on Twitter and uh, Instagram and Facebook and all that lovely yes. stuff. Yes.
2: And also watch this space for our first uh, bonus podcast, which should be coming out.
3: Yeah, we're going to record it next week, so next a little week, bit yeah. of delay due to me uh, contracting the old Rona, but uh, mm. yeah, we'll, uh, we'll have it for you next week. So yeah, check out the Patreon and uh, enjoy the show.
4: Oh, cheers, guys. Cheers. This is lovely.
2: Cheers. Nice to meet you.
3: Yeah, thank you so much for, uh, for joining us. My pleasure. Yeah.
4: I'm just sorry I can't offer you anything to eat.
2: No, no. I mean <laughs> okay. Yes, so we're, we're delighted to welcome Shapi Kosandi Korsandi to your own personal Beatles and she's drinking a glass of red wine brought to her by her son. There <laughs> <Cheers>. we are. <laughs> That's parenting
3: so good parenting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, so how how are you how has things been how's the like slightly strange life for a comic over the last year it's
4: been weird and also I, I can i just be really thick and ask you are we recording now
2: yes we just started yeah, yes. That's, why, that's why i did that slightly stilted intro there to go kind of i loved over. your intro i thought it was very good i thought you were very
4: smooth voiced
3: thank
2: you and i
4: thought you were very confident um okay yeah,
2: we're trying
3: to sort of adopt that sort of Adam Buxton thing of just uh, you know ludging into the conversation. Yeah, well, Jack like sometimes uh, does
2: a very good kind of radio for sort of intonation. You sometimes we're kind all
4: of... we're all trying. I spend my life trying to be Adam Buxton. <laughs>
2: yeah.
4: Whenever I whenever I go walking my dog, I I just call her Rosie sometimes just yeah. to feel a little bit more Adam. <laughs> um, and I remark to myself about the weather and the gray dome of the sky and but now but there's no one to hear it but me um can i please well i'm going to tell you how much i Mm. love the title of your podcast Mm. and because um i you know like when there's a band when you're a teen usually that becomes the band the band that makes you realize that um music is is life and for me that was yeah. depeche mode when i was 15 nice. oh
3: well there you go and so i was
4: very excited your own personal beatles yeah because it's yeah. you know two big loves of mine i'm enjoying That's this great. wine i'm enjoying it yeah
3: i mean it's a it's a weak pun but it's uh i feel that it's, no. it's
2: a, clear, <laughs> a good enough title it was because you know obviously john john said they were the beatles were bigger than jesus so it's kind of multi, yeah, multi-layered yeah
1: exactly so.
4: <laughs> oh yes <laughs> oh there we go i like that
3: you yeah, see you're yeah. clever clever wow. podcasters <laughs> <laughs> um so i mean diving straight into the beatles yes. what was your um sort of so i mean compared to uh, most people we've had on the podcast your sort of early years were probably a bit more irregular so where did the beatles first pop up and what was your sort of early life like for people who might not know
4: well, we—I um, wasn't—I don't have any musical pedigree from my parents, unless it's you mm. know classical Iranian music or Iranian pop music in a in a restaurant at two in the morning when the grown ups are dancing and us kids are sort of curled <laughs> up under the table trying to sleep, which was uh, a lot of my life as a child. Um, I remember once the owner of a restaurant set up a camp bed in the kitchen for me to sleep on (laughs) 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 because everyone wanted to carry on dancing and boozing so um we had a record player and we just had um yen the soundtrack to yentl the soundtrack to cinderella um an elton john album and a shirley bassey album nice and There there was no money to buy music in my Mm. family um, back then. And my generation is a generation where if you wanted to listen to music, you went to a friend's house because you heard they had Mm. a certain album. Um, So I know, you know, Yentl off by heart, the Cinderella soundtrack off by heart and Elton John. Yeah. And uh, (laughs) I know, ask me anything about Shirley Bassey. I know it all. So that was my (laughs) early music. And, you know that so this
2: was in Iran? Oh, um, no,
4: no, no, this is here.
2: Was, oh, mm. this was so, so you moved to London when oh, you were what, about six? Or s- I was oh, I four was, or five. I was uh,
4: four.
2: Right, okay. I was almost yeah. four. Mm.
4: So, you know, when everyone, uh, everyone's got a, a story of the first single they bought and it's always something yeah. cool. Mine yeah. was <laughs> um, Roland Rat's Rat Rapping. <laughs> oh,
2: nice. Great song.
4: <laughs> that was, yeah, Fingers in the Fur, Let's Find That Flea, Chester, Now Right To The Knee. <laughs> um, but fortunately for me, um, my brother and I have a, had, when we were children, we had a friend, um, who was like our, he was a very distant cousin and he was almost like a third sibling to us as we were growing up. And he lived on his own with his dad as a child. And we'd go to his house and this boy, his name was Marziar. And he was obsessed with the Beatles. Wow. Obsessed. So... We were so little. Um, I remember it was a year, whatever year, people can work out. Um, I-, I hope the Russians love their children too. Do you remember that? It was, is it oh, a Sting? Yeah. How can I tell mm. my little boy if it was the, the, that year? So I think I can't have been more than nine, maybe 10. Mm. And he, Marzia had the um, Magical Mystery Tour. Great. album and he had uh i think he had all the beatles albums and he um had taught himself the piano in order to be able to play beatles songs wow
1: kid!
4: Cool he, he was mm. a very cool kid um <laughs> and he um It was only when I was an adult I found out that he was having a massively tough time then as well. Mm. And it kind of goes to explain a lot of his quite obsessive immersion in music. Mm. But for me, he was my musical education and the Beatles played heavily in that. And Mm. I I don't think I realised when I was a kid that the Beatles were grown-up music.
1: Because right. the, way,
4: the way my childlike ears heard, I am the egg and the, the war is cuckoo, I thought it was like kids' yeah. songs. I, I had no yeah, idea yeah. that adults listen to this. So, yeah, that's how I came to the Beatles and yeah. um, and love them because their songs told, told stories as well, which appealed mm. to me as a child more than yeah. sort of the pop music that was in the charts at the time appealed to me. Like, I used to watch Top of the Pops and stuff, but it didn't hit home the way um, my friend Marzia's albums did. And Mm. I think it's probably the first time I used to sit and listen rather than have music on in the background was um, the Magical Mystery Tour.
2: Was there any particular songs or Magical Mystery Tour that leapt out to you as a a child?
4: Well, when I was older, actually, um, and my mum hated the song, The Fool on the Hill... Mm. Um, I played that obsessively as a teenager, right.
2: Yeah,
4: obsessively. And I have an uncle who I've, I think this is the first time I've ever talked about him publicly. It might, But I have a monk, an, an uncle who is, um very severely uh mentally ill and he when i was growing up you know we'd go and see him in secure when i was growing up teenager in secure mental um institutions and if anyone um listening has experience of being in one of those places or visiting someone in one of those places they'll they'll Mm. they can attest that it's a tough one to take right Mm. and um that song the fool on the hill always then started to make me think of my uncle because Mm. he was the guy who would be sitting on a bus with a wig that he found in a skip and there'd be kids (laughs) throwing chips at his head you know he was (laughs) that guy yeah the guy that everyone walked past pulled their kids away from the weirdo when i was at school i think i was about 16 um the, the cuss at my school in the 80s would be like, um, oh, you, you, yeah, you live at St. Bernard's because St. Bernard's was this old Victorian um, mental hospital in Ealing right. where I lived. Yeah. Um, and that was the way we would, uh, people would slag each other off. I, I changed that we because I never did because I'm <coughs> tremendously kind. <laughs> yeah, <and> you're morally
2: <laughs> perfect, yes. And,
4: and and an all-round delight. So... Yes, yeah. um, I remember everyone was crowding around the Ealing Gazette and laughing. And I was like, what are they laughing at? And someone said, oh, a loonies escaped from St. Bernard's and he's jumped on a car. And there was a picture of my uncle on the front page of the Gazette. And he was obsessed with Bruce Lee in a Bruce Lee pose. And I looked at it and I just turned away and I felt oh, I felt so sad because, yeah. you know, none of them knew that guy. None of them knew that my uncle no. actually talks the most sense sometimes than anyone else yeah. I know. And he's really funny and he was a brilliant, brilliant young man. And this mm. illness manifested in his late teens, early 20s, as is, as is quite common, I think, with... Um, with his sort of thing and so The Fool on the Hill
1: mm. to
4: this day makes me cry yeah. because um, it makes me think of just people we don't understand and people yeah. that we dismiss and I've always been drawn to people like that Well on the way
1: Head in a cloud The man of a thousand voices Talking perfectly loud But nobody ever hears
2: it's a song, even without a connection as strong as that, that does seem to key into this idea, obviously, of like the wise fool. And I yeah. always think it's it's not a coincidence that you know I am the warus ends with a bit of King Lear and Fool on the Hill. You know, it makes you know, I'm not saying it's an illusion, but there is, you know, there is obviously the, the fool in Lear, who's the wisest character in the play and everything. And yeah. also, you know, and, you know, and then people like Mr. Dick in David Copperfield, played brilliantly by Hugh Laurie, that kind of clear, yeah. that kind of innocence. Yeah, quiet dignity of... Uh, yeah. Uh, it, it, and obviously the great thing about Fool on the Hill as well is that he, he's not being heavy-handed about this in a kind of it's not even clear if he is talking about what we might describe as someone with mental health problems. But like, I think it's, it's, it works so well as a song because you can kind of read that into it. I think.
4: Well, which I did because obviously I I heard the song long before um, my uncle came to live Mm. with us. And it's that it's just, to me, it's a song about people who have no idea, no inkling to manipulate
1: Mm.
4: anyone or, want anything off anyone
1: yeah. um whereas
4: mm. the rest of us often in our lives we build our our hives and our webs of people we need people we uh care about and and you know there is there is um we we, we all kind of work at, work our own game to an extent mm. and then here's somebody on a hill who's just being And it's so easy to just walk past. And my mum hated it, hated it. Really? Yeah. I'd I'd never known her to have such a visceral... She goes, oh, it's the eyes in his head, see the world spinning around. I think it just just Mm. made her feel really... um, She found the song really disconcerting.
2: (laughs) Well, it is eerie, isn't it? The recorders are eerie, you know. I
3: mean, recorders are usually a complete no-no for me. Uh, Yeah. They're my my least favourite musical sound (laughs) Bar but it's it is creepy. But They kind of work in that because there's something uncanny and folky mm. about uh, recorders. Yeah. But it's I say I think that song is sort of it's McCartney at his absolute songwriting peak in, in mm. Beatles. Yeah. So I love his sort of detached sort of character pieces i always think of it as a bit of a companion piece to something like eleanor rigby really where it's like yeah. how are you writing this stuff at 26 27 i just find it absolutely mind-boggling <laughs>
4: yeah. i'll tell you how because they didn't have ironing to do at that i thought you
1: were wow. gonna say drugs <laughs> oh well yeah yeah
4: maybe it's funny how um the drugs didn't enter my head with that album because i came Mm. to it as a child and it was and naively it wasn't until i was really old like a quite an experienced adult
1: Mm. before
4: Mm. i I got the jokes about tripping and stuff in with regard Mm. to that album
3: i mean look at the clues are there (laughs) yeah
1: Yeah. (laughs) But the, the, yeah.
3: the great
2: thing about uh, fool on the hill again from like a child's perspective i think, you know even before you like l- know anything about music what's great about it from the mccartney songwriting thing that jack's talking about is you know he's doing something weird when it goes to that minor thing it's so yeah. unexpected
1: yeah and
2: mm. you don't really have a name for it and then you you know we might work out later oh he went to the minor there that was such an unusual choice and But you've always known there was something slightly unsettling about it, but you didn't know how to name it. (laughs) Well, I've I've just
4: realised right now what that is. It goes to the minor. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Isn't it like C major to C minor? I don't know. Jack yeah, I can't remember knows. what key it's. Yeah, in. I let's just, just remember say it's it is. very
3: sort of like <laughs> alliterative in its sort of word painting of I always you know you're following that melody up literally up the hill until it sort of mm. dies away. So it's quite like it's quite on the nose in, in terms of its word painting. But uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely love that uh, that song. It's uh, in the t- top ten for me, I think. Top ten yeah. major distracts for me.
2: Brilliant mm. Um, uh, Shafi, yeah, I was going to ask then about, because you, you obviously mentioned your upbringing, you moved to the UK when you were very young. So in your book, A Beginner's Guide to Acting English, you, you, talk, you write brilliantly about that kind of experience, you write brilliantly from the perspective of a child, and mm. obviously being a young child, not, you know, not knowing who Father Christmas is, and being in this completely new culture, completely new language. So, I mean, this is kind of quite a broad question, I suppose, but it was like... Discovering the Beatles, was that something like was it a bit like discovering who Father Christmas was? Was it like this kind of, <laughs> was it like this new was it was was it kind of a an introduction to the to the West, for want of a better way of putting it, or was no. it not really that
4: No, it wasn't. I think um when you're a kid, I mean the age I was when I came to England, I was at an age where if a dragon had come into my bedroom, <laughs> yeah. a, a pink dragon offering me a plate of marshmallows to yeah. burn on its fire, I would have gone, oh, wow, mummy, come and yeah. look at this. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. So I,
4: I I, didn't make the East-West um, connection as mm. as a kid because everything's new. Um,
2: yes, yeah.
4: But I do, I, I feel, um, thank you for saying I was that book did well talking from a child's perspective because um I'm very very connected to my childhood mm. um I'm not one of those people who um sort of thinks of it as a part of their life and they remember a trip to Disneyland and around with their mom I I'm I'm frequently um revisiting my childhood it's Mm. it's a it's my thing and and I get in touch with people from my childhood and Mm. uh I you know like talking it to them and they're always Mm. astounded by my memory my memory yeah I was on in the Isle of Wight the other day and I uh just in in the um in a restaurant this man turned around to me and he said do you remember me and I went Yes. He was my PE teacher at school. And I instantly, without missing a beat, told him a story that he told us when we were 12. Wow. So, and I, and I I said, you know, I, I, you know, I remember, and he went, wow, how do you remember that? And his kids were with him, his grown up children. And they said, oh, he's always telling us that. He's, he's told us that story before. (laughs) Um, so I do, and every, I think pretty much everything I've written, I've, gone back to my childhood so no the beatles weren't a connection to the west because i never i still don't see them as like i don't i don't differentiate between um you know music that i like and what that there isn't a clear defining Mm. line between you know east and west for me it's all a big mush yeah
1: um
4: but what it was was an introduction into um losing yourself in music mm. and sometimes mm. I feel I wish I'd discovered them a little later maybe my teens but I was very little I was very, I was a kid you know climbing trees mm. and all of that when I was listening to the Beatles and also um I got obsessed for a while uh, with well well who isn't with John Lennon and I met this mm. little girl who and so at this point i'm about 30 right and hmm. i meet this little girl um a friend's daughter and this little girl is phenomenal she's just uh really smart really clever and she's got her headphones on we've gone to a restaurant she would put her headphones on because this is the days before phones you know games hmm. yeah. so her way of zoning out of the adults boring conversation was to listen to music and she was listening to uh, the black eyed peas and various other things And I had my Walkman (laughs) with me and I said, here, let me play you a song and see if you like it. And I played her um, John Lennon's Imagine and she listened to it and then she took the headphones off and she goes, yeah, I ain't a teenager yet.
3: <laughs> but, oh, that's man. incredible!
4: What a child! I I ain't a teenager yet, and
3: that's so, that's so. What a so great, great review well. of that song <laughs> yeah. as
1: well. Yeah.
4: And I, yeah. I I kind of sometimes I wish that you know if I'd come to them a bit later. It's like it's like meeting like someone that you love dearly and want to spend the rest of your life with when you're seventeen.
1: Mm. in a
4: way i think i would have got different things and maybe they would have been my favorite band uh yeah. I, but, mm. but as it happened it ended up being depeche mode because that's when yeah. the lightning bolt struck when i was 15
2: <laughs> yeah well depeche mode i think they're i mean at their best depeche mode are always about we're talking about mccartney for me always about those little quirks of melody or just slightly yeah. interesting chord change that really sticks out you mm. know that for me is what makes them so amazing. I think, and they do sort of like
3: dovetail in and out of fashion in the same way that some yeah, do. McCartney does. As <laughs> yeah, well. yeah, yeah. So yeah, you know, you're yeah. always going to be on the on the money every few years with yeah. Depeche mode. I always find
2: that's such an interesting thing, though. About like, I mean, I've I've vividly remember stuff trying to get into something. Does like, I don't know, say like Captain Beefheart or some prog or something when I was much too young be like, no, oh no, I need to be a teenager. Like, yeah. it's, it's, this is scary. I'm yeah. scared. <laughs> this is, why is this so long? I'm scared. <laughs> you, know? No, and,
4: and <laughs> you know, what's interesting with, um, with music is with my children, I'm quite careful of when I give them certain things to listen to. Mm. Um, and then you never know what's going to hit them like yeah. i i have you know i, I was t- my daughter's only she was only 7 and we were going to ballet or some somewhere um and on my playlist came radiohead's creep mm, and I, mm. and she was, uh, she was very talkative like me and she was yeah. utterly quiet and then i looked at her and she had like this little tear down her face oh, wow. yeah. i was like oh my god that's mad that's that's just um and, and, and i didn't talk you know I just, I just said did you like that And she just nodded and she didn't want to talk about it anymore and wow. i didn't make a thing of it we just like went on with our day i just let her have her whatever it was she reaction she was going through listening to a song and i just thought how incredible is that
1: mm.
4: whereas mm. that's something that i would probably have like not thought oh yeah when she's like older she would get into that but yeah there's something about certain songs I think the Beatles played a huge part in me wanting to be a performer.
3: Oh, really? That's interesting.
4: Massively. The Beatles and The Mm. Muppet Show were were huge influences on my life. When I was um, at the last year of my primary school, we did a play, our end-of-year play. Now, we had a really creative staff at my school, Montpelier School in Ealing, Mm. And instead of, like, getting a, a play off the shelf and doing it like Bugsy Malone, the teachers wrote a play. And they, they did it to the soundtrack of the Beatles.
1: Oh, right. Oh, wow. Yeah, they
4: did it to a Beatles soundtrack. So we did, help, I need somebody. And, and like, you know, man um, again, by me, loving all of that. Uh, yeah, yeah. And your mother, sh- you know... Um,
2: all of that. Uh, and and so did the plot kind of revolve around the songs or were the songs just placed there? The,
4: they were placed strategically. So the play was about... So where I... Um, I, I, I mean, it sounds
2: more consistent than the film helped, to be honest. Yeah. Sure,
1: yeah. yeah. I think
4: that was a big influence, but I think our play was better. So... Yeah.
1: Um,
4: Back in the 80s, there was a massive um, Bentles stall in Ealing, and it had shut mm. down. So the play was about what to do with the site of Bentles. Mm. And there was a group of people from the council that wanted to make it into a youth centre. And then there was an evil tobacco company that wanted to make it into a tobacco fan- factory. And me and my best friend, Chloe, we played Benson and Hedges. Nice. so Nice. We were the evil ones. So we, the story was, that and then, you know, I get by with a little help from my friends, sang mm. the council lot, the team, and they all grouped together. And then, mm. and then the, the evil ones sang all the songs about money and all of this. So, uh, that play was all about, um, yeah, all Beatles songs. And we all had to mm. learn them. And that was our homework yeah. to learn, Great. learn the Beatles songs off by heart. And, for me, the, the the songs were were stories, and they were theatrical, and yeah. they had real character, and they built characters for you mm. in your in your mind, and that really appealed to um, whatever nonsense makes me want to be a performer. So, <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> well, I think that's one of the things. That, I mean, we sort of often come back to George Martin, but I'm talking about his kind of role as producing comedy records and things for the Beatles. But I, th- I do th- think sometimes what makes the Beatles songs so good in many ways is the production where they're almost done like a sketch, if that if that's mm. somehow makes sense. Or that they're kind of... What I like about George Martin is he, he has that kind of attention to detail of, of which comedians need. You need to have the voices heard. You need to get the punchlines over, let's say. So he almost does produce music as if it's like a comedy sketch in a way. I mean, it's, take an obvious example, like Yellow Submarine or something. Yeah. Where it does feel mm-hmm. like there are voices coming and going, sound effects, you know. Um, it's a
4: show. He puts on a show. Yeah, it's a show, yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. A it's a track, show. Yeah.
2: And it's also that thing of like, I don't know if you've ever, like I I record music at home and, you know, I try to. But like sometimes mm-hmm. when you're doing something and you might just like do something as, I work on this other podcast and I do some jingles. And like you might put a little funny jingle together and you go, why is that better than any song I've ever written? <laughs> you know? Because it's like you're not thinking about the music. So sometimes I think George Martin's really good because he's almost like, from that comedy perspective, he's kind of making something, I can't explain yeah. it.
3: <laughs> yeah, I know. And, then, and, and you've got, they are a double act as well. Yeah, uh, and a lot of you know John and Paul work so well together, and yes, there's something yeah. very th- theatrical about their relationship and the way that yes, they're sort of yeah. antithetical but symbiotic. And yeah, yeah. I mean, I would like. To, what was the name of the play? It was. Um...
4: I can't remember, but I think it might have been called Bentalls. <laughs> <laughs>
3: really? It sounds like a, a, a copyright nightmare but I would uh, yes. I'd
2: love
4: to see it. It was the 80s it was the 80s. It sounds
2: like they put more thought into it than like We Will Rock You the Queen musical where it's like we need to cross the seven seas of rye. <laughs> like you know, a yeah. springs of, you know it sounds like it's slightly more produced <laughs> yeah. than that.
4: Well it, it it was amazing and um I I never I never forgot it. The The thing, um, Robin, that you were just talking about with um, with Double Act and with the production and and all of that, Mm. I think you're you're absolutely spot on. A lot of the time, people put comedians under the same umbrella as actors. Mm. And actually, we're very different animals to actors. Mm. I know some comics act too, and some actors do comedy. But I think um, in terms of our spirit, we're much closer to musicians and teachers (laughs) (laughs)
1: yeah 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 um
4: i personally think that and i know for myself um that comedians if they could have they'd much rather have been musicians
1: Mm,
4: mm. um if Mm. i had had the skills to be a musician that is that's the road i would take Mm. and i think our fascination with musicians is that um because comedians connect with their emotions as well but they have to present it to you as mm. something other than just emotion they've got to present it to you as in a in a way that that um you'll come in on like you you make them see the world as you see it mm, mm. Um, whereas musicians present their emotions in a much more way in a much more either you get it or you don't mm. i don't um they're not i don't want to say the word needy but i always think like um musicians uh Good comedians are like, love me, love me, love me, but musicians are more like kneel before Zod.
1: <laughs> you know? But ultimately yeah.
4: we want people to come our way.
1: Yes. But yeah. do it in
4: very different ways. And and I am um, whenever I whenever I let's face it, date musicians, which tends to be a lot, um <laughs> it that affinity is there because I find musicians are have the keenest sense of humor yeah uh, they've got such a good the ones i've met have and, and they 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 value a sense of humor mm. Um they value the the uh, communication that a sense of humor gives and the dimension that it takes you to so i do think that that, that musicians and comedians are kind of very very curious of each other and very yeah uh, um adoring in some ways of yeah. one another all the musicians that i've been out with have adored me anyway
3: <laughs> so, uh, i think they both have the yeah they seem to have that part that missing part of each other's uh yeah. things mm. that they fit together i mean john lennon we've like mentioned before was always said towards the end of his life that he would much rather have been in monty python than the beatles yeah. and stuff and it's like well if he's yeah. still got that empty space that he's trying to yeah. fill
1: it is but but the,
4: it, that's exactly what it is. And they look at us and they see the instant
2: mm.
4: connection.
2: And it's also about that kind of balancing sincerity and humour, I think, yeah. which is one thing the Beatles do so well. Yeah. But I mean, you know, just having watched Bo Burnham's Inside, the I great success. i can't wait to watch that.
4: I can't oh, you haven't wait. seen it yet? I oh, haven't seen it. my God. It's, it's amazing. It's, it's yeah. my little gift. It's my gift to myself
2: <laughs> yeah. when
4: uh, this crazy week that I'm having dies down.
2: Cool. Mm. Well, enjoy it. You know, it's, it's not... It's not <laughs> no, I won't yeah, spoil it, but it's, it's, it's not great. not a laugh riot, but
3: it's, yeah. uh, it's, but the, it's great, the great sort of... Uh, I think we all knew that there was a sort of lockdown masterpiece yeah. being created somewhere. And that the great sense. piece of uh, lockdown art would turn up and uh, yeah. actually it wasn't that surprising that he did it because he's... Uh,
4: you mean it wasn't the? You mean it wasn't the American celebrities singing Imagine? <laughs>
3: <laughs> that wasn't it. Yeah, that was an early front runner, but it.
2: Uh, oh, it, you it, have it, raised
4: uh, my expectations sky <laughs> high.
2: But the, the the amazing thing about insiders, it is that balancing of sincerity mm. and humor, isn't it? Because it, it's so funny, yeah. but then he can do something so incredibly serious. It's really quite beautiful. The songs are very beautiful, and then yeah. just go into little skits, and and that's what. Gives it its heart is the balancing of that. I can't believe he does a song about moaning about being thirty. It's like, oh God, what you oh, get forty make? He was. Mate? Like,
4: he was <laughs> I saw him at the Edinburgh Festival when he was. I think he was still a teenager when he. Yeah,
2: he's like seventeen, eighteen. Um, or I you know? see.
4: I'm fascinated by that. Like, I think that's what I find fascinating about musicians is the sincerity. Mm. Like my seventeen-year-old cousin is a musician, and she will sit at the piano any gathering, no shyness, nothing, and and belt out a song that she's written herself.
1: Wow! About her mm.
4: heartache, and she'll have us all in tears, and she'll finish it, and she's like, you know, done. And it's amazing, yeah. and and it, it's and I'm like, I can't do that. That that's the thing that I think. You know, yeah. musical skill aside, I feel like if, if if I don't like dress something up positively at the end of it, then I've wasted everyone's time.
2: Yeah, yeah.
3: It's or at just least have a kind of, sort I, of funny sound effect to fall back yeah. on in case you don't do it properly. No, there was that Stuart Lee's show I think that um, about ten years ago that ended with him playing a guitar, and it was his, uh, I think he says like the last taboo in comedy is to do try and do something sincerely and well. Yeah. Which is uh, <laughs> yeah, something that Bo Burnham and the people like Tim Minchin managed to straddle. But I think you yeah. need to be hyper, hyper talented to be able
4: yeah, to Yeah, and... Um,
0: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down.
4: And uh, and I, I, I think I was the last person in the world to see um, Na- um, Nanette.
2: Mm. Yeah. Um, Hannah Gadsby. Ha-
4: right, Nanette did that. And that's such a hard thing to do well. Mm. And then so, like, like with everything, like with comedy, when someone does it, then other people try it. Like when I started yeah. on the circuit, Eddie Izzard was the game-changing comic mm, and mm. every new comic probably including me at the time spoken that slightly Izzard inflection yeah yeah and um and likewise you see a lot of co- you know comics now doing uh, sinceri- you know sincerity but it's yes, like
1: yeah. okay
4: mm. yeah. yeah all right okay yeah. so it's yeah it's it's someone a, made a really good process. I think it might be been
2: g- I can't remember who it was. It might've been Glenn Moore. Uh made, made a really good it was just a tweet saying really good comedy makes the audience awkward, but unfortunately so does really bad comedy. <laughs> so it's like hard to, you know. But that's so true, isn't it? It's yeah. like, you know. I know.
4: And I know yeah. we're straying There are a lot th- of
2: people doing the sincerity thing, like badly, let's say. Or well, you no, know, there yeah. are lots of people. It's become a thing, let well, you
4: know what? I mean, you can edit this out because I'm probably being a bit mean and um, mm. I try not to be mean um, in public. But a young comic got in touch with me recently and said, I want to do comedy. Can you help me? And I was like, oh, fair play to your confidence. Yes. Okay. So here's some, I did a comedy course that gives you confidence. Here's some comedy courses you can try. Here's some online stuff. Here's some gigs you can go to. Binge on comedy. That's the best advice I can give anyone. Mm. Just watch tons of comedy. And, uh, And she wrote back to me, she's saying, thank you for recommendations. And my plan with comedy is to um, make people laugh, but also educate them um, around Mm -hmm. issues concerning, um," and she gave me a list of issues. Mm -hmm. And I was like, good luck, mate. Good luck. There's nothing I can do for you here. Mm. Um, I gave you, uh, you know, I gave you what I had. I gave you, you could have, you know, I'm so willing to help people. But if before they've even got up and done their first gig, their idea mm. is I want to educate people. It's that when other comics are like you just did with Glenn Moore, when other people are quoting your jokes, then yeah. start thinking
2: yeah.
4: how I'm going to, you know, change the shape of the world.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's quite a big, it's quite ambitious. It is, yeah. oh. It's
3: a bit like trying to play jazz before you've learned the chords. Really, and yeah. The, yeah uh, and you
4: know what? You know, I, I just felt really sad because I love the fact that she had the confidence to write to someone and ask for them to be the, her mentor. Mm, you yeah. know, I never had that confidence, so
1: mm.
4: never mind. Pat, it's not too late for me to have a mentor. I might try and find one.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: Yeah, another album you mentioned in a, to Jack was, was this because of the school play? But you're, you're a big fan of the Help album. Yes! Yeah. Yeah, mm. the
4: Help album. Um, again, you know, I'm somewhat, because I've now realised that my scatterbrainness is neurodivergent, I've mm. not been, like, I always felt, um, you know, you get the, pr- I feel that I'm a real music geek,
1: but
2: mm. I
4: can't compartmentalise and remember albums and dates or whatever the way yeah P- proper music geeks can so i've always well, neither done. can
2: paul mccartney <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <exactly. laughs>
1: um,
4: yeah so so yes i binged on the help album and again these are all albums i'd have to go to my friend mm. marzia's house to listen to um and i never i never had the money to buy my own so when i went mm. to university and i got my grant the first thing i did was buy myself a cd player and I bought yeah. the Help album. I bought Sergeant Pepper. I bought the Magical Mystery Tour, and I bought um, a heap of <laughs> Simon and Garfunkel records. Nice, um, lovely. Yeah. So, and then I got quite obsessed with John Lennon
1: mm. as
4: a person. Yeah. Like mm. I think as a, I, I remember sort of being like reading everything I possibly could about him, and listening to all of his solo stuff. And mm. thinking that if I, if I had ever met him, I would have run to hide. I think yeah. I would have been so intimidated by him. Yeah. Um, and looking back at, or, and, and even when I was growing up, sort of yoko hate was mm. common. You know, I yeah. remember mm. as as a as a comedy obsessive watching De- Dennis Leary, American comic Dennis Leary. Do a, um, a show and I had it on video, and I, I know it off by heart. And he said, We live in a world where John Lennon takes however many 16 bullets to the chest yoko ono is standing next to him not one fucking bullet and the audience roars with laughter oh, and i was God. you know i was a teenager and i was like oh that's so funny because we <laughs> want her dead yeah. and you know what if that happened today it would be a Meghan markle situation we would understand that she's an outsider yeah. You know, she's mm. Jap- you know, she's not she doesn't she doesn't fit in
2: yeah. for reasons I, more
4: than her music.
2: And I like to think we have gone past that, but in some ways, sadly, we haven't, as many people who are critics of the Craig Brown book will, will attest that he's very yeah. harsh about Yoko, which is mm. just you know
4: Absolutely you, you know, you,
2: Like someone said recently, you can't be a John fan without loving Yoko. You, absolutely. You know, and
4: yeah. and you know, um he um The other thing is about her is, to this day, um, you know, when someone's got a girlfriend that a group of mates aren't all that into, they'll go, oh, she's Yoko. And I I had to be... And I know that I probably sounded like the most sanctimonious twat at the dinner party, (laughs) but I was like, Mm. that's not fair. That's not fair. You know, whatever. You know, I am. I am a bit of a sanctimonious twat.
3: uh, I've never made that sort of connection between the Meghan Markle thing, but it's actually... It's a very... In terms of the tabloid representation, mm. it's, very, it's this sort of weird protectiveness over... Or, or entitlement to think that John mm. Lennon is, like, our thing. Like, you know, Britain's great, uh, you know, export. When actually mm. he really couldn't give a shit about the You know what? To be kind
4: or, and to be polite, I would call it xenophobia.
3: But, mm. you know... Oh, we're, we're, I think we can call it racism. It's, there we mm. go.
4: and And to to love like lo- exactly what you said to love john lennon and to dehumanize the woman that he was in love with and i don't know what it is about this two people fans and family think that have more of a right to you than mm. the person that you have met and chosen mm. to be your family you yeah. know
1: yeah.
4: and uh you know i even i even listen to yoko's stuff occasionally Mm. you know on a quiet night
2: yeah (laughs) well she's just she's a fascinating artist she's She's brilliant
4: brilliant. she's a fascinating artist she's a brilliant character she's still really full of verb and vibrant and positivity Mm. um and she put up with him
1: imagine (laughs) that yeah Yeah.
4: she put up with him she forgave him
1: yeah Mm.
4: everything And that's, that's, um, that compassion is, is really important. And also like, you know, and I know that people, people say stuff, you know, John Lennon was this and that, and and I know that I'd be terrified of him if I met him, but, um, you know, I have huge compassion for John Lennon whatever he was like in his life
1: towards Mm.
4: Yoko and, and, and all of that, because no one is like the sum total of one part of them, you know, like, I don't know. I I feel that we can so often look back and judge people without, you know, understanding the the circumstances they were in and the head Mm. that they lived in. And and it's not excusing, it's being compassionate and being, being compassionate towards things that are unpalatable yeah. Is also human. Oh, I should write a song about this. What was I saying? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's why yeah. everyone
3: goes through a stage in their life, though, where they identify with John in a way that they maybe don't so much with Paul, is because he's more multifaceted and more kind of flawed and to, you know, mm. straddles that kind of sincerity and comedy thing that we're talking mm. about earlier, whereas someone like Paul is just a, a bit more consistent in character. Um, yeah. And a bit and, more
4: able to deal with his shit.
3: Mm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And to, to for I was I always think the great miracle with Paul is that he's sort of remotely normal. Yeah. Whereas yeah. Uh, John was so uh, kind of heading heading that way, but yeah, you know, it's John. You just can't help but love him. Yeah. Um, even yeah. in the world where where we're sort of recontextualizing characters like that. Yeah.
2: John was just so funny. Uh, you know you know we're obviously talking about comedy a lot but one of the things from recently rewatching help is one of the, it's not like a great film but like one of the best things about it is you know they did a lot of outdoor scenes and they had to dub over little Vo- you dub over their voices yeah. to narrate mm. themselves climbing on a tank and stuff. And there, if you just if the film was just those little bits, it would be brilliant. Because yeah. <laughs> John John is fucking hysterical funny. in those mm. bits. There's mm. the bit where they say so they climb on the tank, and you can just hear John go, "I hurt my suit." <laughs> 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 it's so good. But they like, were obviously like improvising and just m- mucking about. It's, it's so funny. It's
4: so so funny. And you know what? Who, um, yeah. h- who else? I. I um, enjoy uh looking at the life outside singing is um amy winehouse
1: Yes, yeah, yeah yeah such a
4: brilliant sense of humor yeah yeah. Like she
2: I mean, yeah
4: funniness just pouring out of her and i and i find that the same with john lennon he was funny. it's very true yeah,
2: yeah. Mm. that like that bit in amy where she's that she, she's on holiday with a friend and she's showing around like a kind that, of yes. like she's the tour guide it's just yeah. that is absolutely brilliant she's just doing this character comedy and she's so funny yeah and she
3: always knows where the camera is in a similar way to john as well when there's yeah, or, yeah. when you're on your 20th generic interview yeah I saw saw Interview, um, you might have seen it on Twitter the other day, where um, she was someone was asking her about um, sort of com- basically trying to put words in her mouth about how her new record was really like Dido's last record. Yes, <laughs> and great, she's sort it? of looking sort of over her shoulder at the camera and just making these like really funny, stupid yeah. faces that yeah. have oh, really, really John yeah. Lennon, yeah. actually, the way that he used yeah, to do totally. his like. Yeah. I mean, um,
4: pr- Prince did the same. Prince did the same. Mm. Like his eyes spoke um far louder and funnier
0: (laughs) than his (laughs) mouth Mm, um
4: mm. when he's like faced with someone who's basically just being um a bit you know a bit lame and and trying to bat them into a corner and trying to get them to you know yeah exactly like i say put words in their mouth but um
1: Mm.
4: yes very funny man Something that is gonna paint me in a very bad light and is probably massively indiscreet. Yep. But I had a boyfriend <laughs> who was a musician and um he was very lovely, but he didn't like the Beatles, which which was kind of I I don't I don't trust people who don't like mm. The Simpsons. Yeah. And I also don't Trust people who who say I don't like the Beatles.
1: Mm.
4: Anyway, so we knew, I knew about this, and we'd go on long car journeys, and we would listen to the Beatles albums, and he would get into a huff, a quiet little huff at certain songs, and then and mm. I'd be like, "You're all right." He and goes, "And look, Shappy, it's a bad song, and this is why." Mm. And then we, and then he put on a, a, a tune. He took over from from as a playlist, and he put on some song that was just really dreary. Yeah. I, I won't say the band because I don't want to slag off a band because other people love them, mm. right? It was really dreary. And I said, I I was trying to lighten the mood. And I said, can we listen to something that doesn't want to make me want to kill myself? (laughs) And he said, the amount of shit I've had to listen to in this car. And all we played was the Beatles. Wow. And that relationship ended a week later.
2: Right. Right. I just important things. (laughs)
4: It is it is an important thing for two reasons. Number one, how can you not like the Beatles? And secondly, if you're in the presence of people who love the Beatles, my myself and my children, I think being rude about other people's music. Fair enough. I told him his music was, made me want to kill myself. But I was joking.
1: Yeah. I yeah. was
4: joking. And I know that suicide's not something to giggle about. But I was kidding. And uh, it just, I thought, if you're going to get all po-faced mm. about music that i like because i once went out with somebody who looked at my music collection when i moved into his house and i remember he said that's never going to happen and he (laughs) put it all in a box and all we we listened to was tom waits for five years Uh, which has its place don't get me wrong but um i sort of um i promised myself after that that i would just not stay with somebody who didn't accept my music it's,
2: it's it's pretty much always blokes who have these yeah. real like kind of like it's this or that you must like this you cannot like that you and know, also
4: pretty just... much blokes that i end up going out with but you know um, <laughs> the it's interesting because uh, an, another musician boyfriend of mine he was we were talking about why it tends to be blokes that get so uh geeky about music mm. and I said to him like no I think women get just as geeky yeah but yeah. it's uh, it's like comedy there was a time where only blokes got geeky about comedy because it was seen as a blokey thing but actually mm. I was very very geeky about music but I mm. that there wasn't the the gang to join no, you know yeah, until I yeah. became a bit of a grebo in my later teens and um mm. got very very into the wonder stuff <laughs>
3: <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. No. Yeah, but it's a strange one that people. I think because the Beatles, you, it's quite rare to find people that that don't like. Them. I mean, we we've had um, John Robbins has been on, who's the only person who's been on this podcast who actively doesn't like the Beatles. But at least he can qualify it with the fact that he understands that the Beatles are amazing. It's just he finds it's not for him. But it's
4: funny because I feel exactly yeah. the same way as as John Robbins. I feel that way about him. I know he's I'm joking if he (laughs) (laughs) listens. You are my cup of tea and I hope we have breakfast together in Sweden another time.
2: (laughs) That's great. I thought you were going to just say Queen, but no, just straight yeah, into, into John. Yeah, straight. <laughs> oh, no. yeah, um, but that you yeah.
3: know, but, but you know, it's it's funny that people feel. Yeah, I, I just I don't really buy people who have that visceral reaction against the Beatles. Like you, you're you're trying to be cool
2: by saying you actively hate how, them. Like, it's, how it's quite hard f- to hate?
4: How did you feel about talking to someone who actively didn't like the Beatles? It's, it's
2: not that he actively. I'd say with the problem with John is that he didn't really. He was thing with with john was he was so hung up on the fact that let's say a lot of the early stuff in terms of it's thematically quite one note because they're mm. all love songs yeah let's say up until uh the rubber soul maybe you know mm. they're pretty much all love songs um but it's like it's like having a go at beethoven because he wasn't using a wah-wah pedal. You know, it's like,
3: <laughs> it, 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 but it's like
2: literally like... Yeah,
3: if Beethoven had invented the wah-wah
2: pedal yeah, as well later they on. Had to, they had to, you have to go through that progress culturally to get to your revolvers and Sergeant Peppers, and the Beatles built that progress. So yes, that's what, that's the kind of discussion we had, but it was, it was after quite a lot of cans, so it didn't come off <laughs> Yeah, very
4: well. do you know what, I'm but, getting um, a bit slurry. When I, was, <laughs> when I was younger, so much younger, then today
1: <laughs> i um
4: i remember discovering the beatles getting into the beatles and going oh my god my parents are the beatles generation and i'm mm. like mummy, Mummy, so in iran were you w- didn't mania happen in iran <laughs> and my mom said well we wore miniskirts
1: <laughs> 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 that, was,
4: that was it and I, I remember just being slightly disappointed um about having parents of Beatles' generation, the way my son Mm. can say to me, like, oh my God, you've seen Michael Jackson? Oh my God, you've seen Prince live? And I can say, yes, my son, they are my era. Um, (laughs) I, I always felt a bit cheated, that I didn't have that. Oh, sorry, I, that I didn't have that with my parents. Like my right. dad would go, "Oh yes, the Beatles, wonderful band." Were you into them? And he goes, "Well, I was a journalist. I worked late." Yeah. and, and yeah.
2: It really, I mean, right. <laughs> from, from from reading your your book, busy um, having a
4: revolution. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah, your dad. Your dad sounds like a, a fascinating character, and like, and you obviously grew up in a very like arty world I, I imagine very much so so and so, um, yeah so so with the beatles the beatles weren't a touchstone though at all even
4: um i think that there was a language barrier mm, uh, having mm. said that i remember i i went on a holiday to paris when i was 15 and that's when i discovered depeche mode Mm. And I met all these Parisian uh, teenagers, and I hung out with them. And I, I then uh, translated into French the Be- the Depeche Mode lyrics, and realised, oh <laughs> my god, you don't care about the lyrics. That's insane. Like, how can you, yeah, right, not care about the lyrics of the song? But but people, you know, people do, you know, and yeah. um, and I think there was all that with the Beatles, and. I don't think either of my parents... My my dad was so consumed with being a writer
1: Mm. and being a poet
4: Mm. and all of that. And the revolution happened and they just didn't have youth the way Mm. we had it here. Mm. Um, Like teenage years here are a thing. Mm. But um, back then in Iran, particularly their generation uh, teenagers weren't, didn't have this like period of freedom and liberation to go and navel gaze and, Mm. and lose themselves Mm. to, to music and hedonism, um, the way, because they would literally starve. They had to get jobs and get on with stuff. this we're not, we're Mm. not kidding. This is a developing country or or third world country as they were known back then. Mm. Mm. Um, but I remember, uh, my dad always telling me when, uh, You know, when he heard John Lennon was shot, because it's, you know, having a, for a million reasons, being a poet and also being a journalist. And Mm. when John Lennon was shot, you know, him weeping was a a huge, huge thing that um, Mm. I recall and he's Mm. talked about. Because, you you know, you don't often see a dad cry.
3: Mm. Uh, So, what, if he wasn't a sort of what was the connection there? Just that it was in, just incredibly sad event or was it just
4: understanding the value of this man yeah understanding Mm -hmm. the the value the intelligence the artistic um merits of of this Mm -hmm. person that was a huge part of um Our our culture and Mm. you know murdered in such a brutal way, um, especially coming from Iran, where you know it's you know being a dissident and being shot for your you know being being shot for who you are or your opinions or whatever. And I know that wasn't quite the case. That that wasn't Mm. the case with John Lennon, but there was a lot of death,
1: (laughs) you know, in my parents'
4: life around then. And the West was always seen as safety.
1: Mm. you know the west mm.
4: was refuge that's mm. where people don't kill each other that's where people that that and 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 for that to happen on such a massive scale was really uh, really huge um particularly mm. for 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 a lyricist for for an artist for cuz mm. that's the connection my dad has likewise when um the the charlie hebdo um mm. atrocity uh, my dad was like cuz my dad's a satirist and he's like mm they kill the journalists they kill the right. they kill the comics they kill the writers and that mm. they they and, and they you know they kill them because they're the ones with influence they're the ones yeah. that talk to the every person the mm-hmm. layman you know they talk to the people who might not have the best education
1: that mm. that
4: that aren't you know that don't have privilege but they talk to those people and they're important, whether they're John Lennon or whether they're cartoonists on Charlie Hebdo. These are people who connect with ordinary people, mm. you know, who who are going by, in, in, by and large through their lives, causing no harm to anyone, but having to navigate massive obstacles themselves. And these are the people that connect with them, that give them hope, give them um, a voice in a lot of ways. And. Bang! Gone! Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. the saddest thing in the world.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: I, I think another great thing from the book, your book, is that, that you really get a sense of the Iranian sense of humour.
1: Yes.
2: Uh, I, yeah. which, I, which seems like, obviously your dad was is a satirist and... Um, so, and it seems like it's quite a dry sense of humour. And uh, in, in many ways, it seems like quite British sense of humour. Quite
3: Celtic, I think. Yeah. It's which it's is the sort of Beatles' uh, sort of sense of humour is very much a Celtic thing, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Well. Uh,
4: you know, it's, it's really interesting, so, so interesting that you said Celtic. When I went to um, Ireland for the first time as a 24-year-old comic and I was in Galway... And I was in this pub in Galway, and everyone was just so welcoming because I was a guest. Mm. And everyone was singing, and in this pub, and having a great laugh. And the party wasn't um, people scattered around a room; it was everyone together. Mm. You know, like you go to your average sort of house party in London, you go into yeah. someone's house, you're lucky if someone comes up to you and says, hello, I'm so yeah. oh, yeah. insane, you just have so you go, to go, sorry, hello, sorry, straight <laughs> yeah. to the kitchen. Well, yeah, yeah. there, it's an event, this person's arrived and you sit yeah. and, and it's a communal activity having a party, it's not groups quietly together. Mm. And I was like, oh my God, they're Iranian. They're Iranian. <laughs> like, this is what, yeah. Ara- this is what mm. Iranians are like. And I couldn't yeah, believe yeah. that my Irish friends had never made more of a thing about yeah. how different it was living in England. And um,
1: yeah.
4: so that was a huge, um, huge thing uh, and sense of humour. And let me tell you something about the English sense of humour. When, when we moved <laughs> to England, my dad fell in love with England because he said, because for, 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 for all that I've just said, Iranians do have a veneer of formality mm. that, that sort of kicks ass on English formality, you know. Yeah, we, okay, we have right. like the... F- it's similar to French where we have the tu and vous form you know the polite and informal right, yeah. and even in our language there's a polite way of speaking familiar way of speaking you dress everything up so flowery when you meet a new person it's like mm, no 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 please mm. be my guest no 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 I will die for you sir oh no no I will give my liver <laughs> rather than you um, be standing up please take my chair I'm sorry I have my back to you but a flower has no mm. front or back all of this stuff right <laughs> wow, but my dad crazy. said English people they joke with you from the start like you'll meet Mm. an English person in a lift in an office block and you're in the same lift and they will crack a joke with you and he always made me see the beauty of that part of of Mm. the the British Mm. culture in that um, cracking a joke with a stranger is as ordinary as saying hello Um, yeah yeah it's a, it's a way to connect. And that's why I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't like the term dad joke because mm. it's, it's um, derogatory. I think a dad joke is somebody taking a risk at a barbecue. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, like, yeah. I could not talk to you or I could say, I've got one son. As long as I know, so what do they say? Uh, One son is as, as far as I know, and everyone goes. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah. that person's taken a gamble, and what he said yeah, is yeah, yeah. What, what what someone says when they're doing that is, "I want to be friends. Do you want to be friends? Then let's be friends. Yeah, yeah. That's what it is." Yeah.
1: And that's so that so nice. that's something
4: that I don't think British people appreciate about themselves. And I say this as mm. someone who has the privilege of being an insider and an outsider. Mm. So enjoy mm. that beautiful
3: yeah. thing well, yeah and i think that's a lot of the reason why the world sort of fell in love with the beatles and those early yeah. press conferences where mm. the, the, you know there's probably not one straight answer until about 1966 yeah yeah <laughs> people quite like that
4: you know um at the very beginning of this podcast you asked me if i saw the beatles as like a symbol of the west and i i, I don't know if you noticed but i got slightly defensive when i answered
2: yes i saw well no no i didn't i didn't think you got but I just said, thought I'd asked a stupid question.
1: I, well no.
4: But I did kind of go no, but actually now that we um now that we are friends, I will tell you <laughs> that um when I was little and we moved to England um, and when it came to staying but when when it became clear that we had to become refugees we mm. had a choice between staying in england going to paris or going to los angeles and we stayed uh, in my my parents decided that london would be our refuge what how privileged were we to even have a choice <laughs> <for> <laughs> to be mm. refugees yeah. mm. and a massive reason, a massive reason for that was my father regarded um Britain as the hub of art, the hub of artistic culture um, mm. and the Beatles were a huge part of that mm. that reason for thinking that um Britain was the best place to be and when I was growing up and i and I have this um real patriotism um Towards towards England, that is very different to other kind of patriotism. That is the wrong kind of Mm. (laughs) joking. Nothing's wrong. Kind of patriotism, but uh, my the fact that the Beatles were English or British, Mm. I I thought that was just something we had over America. (laughs) I just thought, like, suck it up, bitches. We got the Beatles, (laughs) and that really competitive spirit of mine. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Um, uh, was, was, was very vibrant when I was, when I was little because, mm. you know, they had grease, they had the cool accents, they had um, cheerleaders and all of that. But, you know, I'll raise you the Beatles.
1: Yeah yeah it's and, a a card, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and,
4: and that that was um that was a huge thing because for me, not being born in England, I had to find my own uh bits of it to root me here. Yeah,
1: yeah. You mm. know,
4: and so Enid Blyton was one, you know, um and, and the Beatles was another one, David Bowie was as well, mm. and and um uh um uh, music um not musicals pantomime mm, mm. pantomime was and old school music hall songs you know the old wall songs like um yeah. you know my old man said follow the mm. band and all of that i <laughs> honestly yeah. i know so many musical songs you will you yeah. will not even believe <laughs> so all of those things were my way of like any kid that's adopted yeah. i found my my way of feeling that i belong and that yeah. You know, music and particularly the Beatles and other bands that this is not a podcast about were <laughs> yeah. massive. In that's that.
2: so, that's that's great. That's so beautifully put, that's brilliant.
3: That was the fantastic Shapiko Sandy. I absolutely loved that. Um we don't have favourites, but that's one of my favourites.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it was a great chat. I did feel like I was just down the pub for having a you know, good old Chinwag yeah. with someone it was great
3: <laughs> i mean she's just so unbelievably nice and yeah. uh, a, a joy to talk to you so, yeah 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 um a real pleasure i hope you enjoyed it as much as we did and uh yeah thanks very much for listening um we'll be back next week with uh, a fantastic episode with beatles superfan slash encyclopedia mr jeff lloyd
2: yeah th- now this was one where i was Pretty nervous before because you yeah. kind of what you want to do <laughs> yeah. your homework, don't you, with Jeff Lloyd? Yeah, I
3: <laughs> mean he's a fantastic, yeah. lovely bloke. Yeah, and he was really brilliant, but he knows his shit he in a really that, uh, knows his stuff. we really don't in some areas.
2: But that's what it was just great. I mean he's he's very open, he's very nice about this podcast as well, and he's very yeah um, lovely bloke. He's really kind of just open to talking because he just loves talking about the Beatles. So you know yeah. it was just great to just there's to, a great uh,
3: bit in his podcast which is called Beetlejuice. Yeah, um, if you haven't heard it where um, I was catching up with it the other day and he talks about how he bought the uh, in TuneIn it goes into uh, some detail about where the Beatles bought all their famous Beetle boots from mm. and uh if you want to know how much of a fan Jewett Floyd is, he uh, con- he've trapped down this shop and bought himself some Beatles boots that he got married in. <laughs> oh, nice. That's great. <laughs> is, uh, yeah, she's yeah. superb. But check that out. He does it with his, uh, with his wife, Sarah Barron, who's, who's also brilliant. Yeah,
2: she's a fantastic comedian, Sarah Barron.
3: Um, so all of that coming up next week. Um, it, as always, an extended version of that on the Patreon, which you can sign up to now. It's patreon.com forward slash personal Beatles. And we'll see you next Tuesday. Cheers, Robin.
2: Bye.
3: (laughs) Bye. Your Own Personal Beatles is presented by Jack Pelling and Robin Allender. The podcast artwork is done by Morgan Ritchie. It's produced by me, Jack Pelling, and is a Homespun Sounds
1: production.